On today's episode, we start by talking about movies we like but maybe don't fully get. We discuss the indie video game Gris in the main discussion, and then Barrio introduces the subject of our next episode, Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon. Hello, and welcome to The Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and today we take back our colors. With me, as always, are Peter. Yellow. And Barrio. Yellow. And I am Inan. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Did you say yellow? Yep. Like yellow, the color? Yep. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's so exciting. That, that's the kind of comedy you get here. Great A. Yeah. Today, we're discussing Greece, an artistic 2018 indie puzzle platformer uh, video game by Nomada Studios. Before we do that, though, let's get ourselves warmed up with a bit of tavern talk. Today, on Tavern Talk, we're discussing movies that we like, but don't fully understand. Um, there are less movies today that I don't understand than when I was younger. Uh, I guess it's because, you know, I live my life to the fullest and I've experienced all kinds of things <laughs> or something. But still, there, there are movies that I'm not sure I totally get, and yet I find them interesting. So that's what we're talking about. Uh, anyone wants to start? Yeah, I'll start. I think I have a pretty good one that sums up basically how I feel about movies that just I don't get. And... This one is based on a book, and the book was very popular, and I think the movie was quite popular as well. I'm quite a fan of the soundtrack, but in terms of the actual story, I love this film. Like, it really puts me in, like, a nice mood, and it's shot well, and it has a nice plot, but and it's a true story, but I don't know the lesson I'm meant to take away from it, mm. and, like, depending on when I watch it and how I watch it, I take away different and often not compatible lessons. And the film <laughs> is um, Into the Wild by, well, the book is written by John Krakow. See, like, sometimes I think it's, like, just, like, a basic film just about, like, breaking away from society. But then other times I think it's, like, an anti-sort of materialist thing. And then I think it's, like, a warning against striking out because in the end it's not a happy story well it's a happy but it's also like a sad story is it the one with the guy in alaska in the wilderness in alaska that's the final bit he does a bit before that oh, okay but that's the sort of where it ends in alaska so um yeah but that that film is i've never really understood what the lesson is and i guess the the lesson might just be that life is complicated and you know just live at your own risk i guess but um, yeah, I always kind of feel like they're trying to give me some lesson and I've just never understood it. So maybe I'm just a, just a pleb and I don't, <laughs> don't understand, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched it. People adore that movie, especially the soundtrack, uh, as mm -hmm. you've mentioned. Um, Barry, have you watched it? Yeah, I did. I loved it. I find myself, um quoting it every once in a while like i think even yesterday i took like this perfect apple and i put it up and told it it was the apple of my eye you remember that scene peter mm, yeah you're the apple of my eye peter how many how many times have you watched it probably five times maybe maybe a bit mm, maybe wow, six it's a lot yeah. for a movie because like it's very easy to watch or well, i find it's easy to watch so yeah yeah. It's supposed to be charming. It is. Yeah, it is pretty charming. Have you watched it recently or? Uh... Um, yeah, yeah, I watched it last month actually. But like, it's, oh really? Yeah, it's weird because like usually I find some movies easy to watch, and not by coincidence, they're usually very short movies. But this one's definitely over two hours. It's I think it's almost oh. two and a half. So H have you read the book? I have read the book actually. I've only I read it a long time ago though, so I can't really remember much from the book. Uh, it's based on a true story. Would you say that they stuck to the true story, or did they maybe change a few things to to put more meaning into it? Well, okay, so I think it's I think it's a good iteration of the book, but. When you think about it, the book wasn't written by, I forget his name, Chris, Christopher McCandless. Um, that's the guy who it's based on, right? Yeah. So, John Krakauer wrote the book based on the journals of Christopher McCandless. Oh. So, I think if you're looking for where they're adding sort of 
bits for entertainment, I would look more towards the difference between real life and the book than the book and the movie. I'll have to watch it. I think I've had like a, a bunch of opportunities to watch it and somehow I've missed it. I'll definitely be happy to watch it and see what I think about it. Yeah, I, I read it like a long time ago, like at least probably seven or eight years ago. And I was about to read it again, actually, because I was like, I do remember, well, I remember it, but I don't remember much of the detail. So I was just about to read it. And then I saw there was a movie about it. So I don't know, maybe the advertising might have not been as good in Australia because, you know, didn't hit shelves or something like that, because I didn't, I haven't even recognized um, the movie before. But um, yeah, no, I've watched it quite a lot because I only, I only watched it for the first time, like, you know, not that long ago, maybe three years ago or something. And watched it like more than once a year so do you i i don't think i've ever asked you this but do you usually rewatch movies and reread books and stuff um not habitually i will read read chapters of books that i like quite often and there's some movies i watch like all the time but i don't know i think i think i'm getting to the stage where i'm rewatching a lot more stuff because mm. you know once you go through everything then like you either got to wait for new films to come out or you got to find like diamonds in the rough and I'm finding less diamonds sometimes. So sometimes I start watching things again, but I used to never do it, but I'm starting to do it. I, I find that I get more out of it the second time. I always do as well. Byron, do you want to bring up a movie? Yeah. So I really like the, uh, the, the well, the, the first Matrix movie is awesome and then it kind of goes downhill, but... I gotta say that I do enjoy Matrix Reloaded and the Matrix Revolution. And like, there's this feeling that the Matrix movies are so uh, profound. I don't know, you're expecting it to end with the meaning of life or something that's, that's really yeah. big. <laughs> and I remember, and, and, I, and I thought about it before our session today, what exactly does the end of the third movie mean? Assuming they conclude the trilogy. I, I, they're now working on a fourth Matrix movie. They're making a fourth one, yeah. yeah with Keanu Reeves and uh, Morpheus. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Uh, I can't say it's a, it's a good idea. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not into movies that are, you know, a sequel 20 years after the fact. Yeah, I don't see how it will be good. Especially because the last one wasn't that good. And, well, spoilers alert, but Neo dies. Like, <laughs> where... Where do you take it from there? Yeah, but they might so, have a backup of him on a, you know, on a floppy disk or something somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Peter, have you watched those movies? No, I haven't. I just, I don't know. I sort of missed the boat on those. Um, I feel like I might be up for watching the original Matrix, but after what I've heard about the other ones, I'm definitely not going to touch the other ones. So I'll take um, the, the opportunity to agree with Barrio. I think they're, they're weird and they're a bit too profound. I, I don't know, but I think they're underrated. All in all, I agree with Barrio. Yeah, but The Matrix 4, is it, that's coming out next year or so? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, I don't know what that... that it's going to be major in the back, box office, though, I, I imagine. Yeah. Well, there is, isn't a box office anymore. That's so, true. <laughs> but it will, but it, will be, it will be great on Netflix. <laughs> like, uh, I think Neo makes a deal with the machines, right? Yeah. That he will, I don't know, fight the Agent Smith virus or whatever... And he will sacrifice himself, and uh, in return, the machines won't destroy Zion, which is the last human city. Yeah. And it's it's not clear. I, I think it's mostly about that Smith character because it's not clear exactly what its allegiance are. Like, is it just there to destroy Neo? Does he want something else? Obviously, after they got rid of the original Smith, somehow after Neo sacrifices himself, then all the Smiths disappear and, and the people who he kind of possessed are back to normal. So why does the machines care and what does it mean about Neo? It doesn't say anything. I don't know. That's what I, I felt. Honestly, I just can't put two and two together to understand <laughs> what's meant to be spoiled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the first movie was brilliant, but like... It wasn't supposed to be fully understood. Like, it, it's a big idea, and it was supposed to get you thinking. But uh, the second and third movies, th they just wanted to, to write on the success of the first ones, and they would have taken any script that, that you know, had the, that universe in it. Like, I don't know if they had a brilliant idea that they had to, to, to put in front of us. They just wanted to make more movies, I think. They, they were... Kind of messy. I never really got them as well. 
but they're fun. I, I, again, I'll say they're a bit underrated. Yeah. They're walking the thin line between too much action and too much philosophy. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes it works. Yeah. What about you, Anon? What's your, um, yeah. what's your super complicated movie? <laughs> I'll bring up two movies. Uh, they're unrelated movies, and I'll bring them up for, for different reasons. Um, the first one I wanted to bring was um, Pulp Fiction. Have you guys watched it? Yeah. Um, no, I haven't actually. That's a big. That's a big miss on my part. Uh, it's. It's. I think it's a cool movie, right? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's. I think it's Tarantino's first big success. I think movie. so. Yeah. I. I don't. I watched this movie. I think three times throughout my twenties, and I. I feel you know that I like this movie. That I, that I'm enjoying this movie whenever I watch it. But honestly, I just don't get it. Like. It has a nice pace. It has interesting characters and stuff. Like, you know, things are happening. It's not like it's a cryptic movie or anything. But, I don't know, it's like I'm, I'm missing this simple connection every time I watch this movie because nothing adds up to me with it. You know, I, I don't really remember what it's about the moment it's over. I don't really get what it's trying to say. I don't know. And, and I'll, I'll add to that that I've been trying to think about other Tarantino films that I've watched and I haven't watched uh, maybe half of them. I don't know. And I, I try to think if they have a lot to say or not to kind of compare to Pulp Fiction. And I'm actually not really sure about that. Like, I don't know, maybe uh, like Kill Bill. Does it have a grand message or something in it? So yeah, Pulp Fiction. I never understood that movie. Well, I feel bad not for watching it, but... Makes me feel good that you don't understand it. So at all, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Barry? Have you enjoyed it? I don't remember. I think that I was kind of on the fence about that. That's the point. Because yeah, <laughs> because well, I gotta say that I don't really remember how it ends. How does it end? I don't remember. There's, I think there's a few kind of storylines that mixed together in the end or something. I don't remember. I have no idea what happens there. There are a couple of storylines. Well, I guess that's a lot of Tarantino's work. It's kind of like interesting storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Although although in Inglorious Bastards and uh, there's like the, everyone remembers the ending of the Inglorious Bastards. I don't remember the ending. Ah, you ruined my theory, man. Yeah, I watched that movie twice. I, I really liked it. Peter, have you watched it? No, I haven't watched it. No, then that's, then that's a movie that you should, so I won't, I won't spoil it. Yeah, don't spoil one. it. So anyway, the second movie I wanted to bring up for, for completely different reasons is um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is a movie that I love. Like, you know, Pulp Fiction, I like, but like with, with Eternal Sunshine, this is, it's not a movie that I, I don't understand. Like, I think I get the story, the basic story fairly well. But whenever I watch that movie, I feel like there's always a lot going on. Like every line connects to a bunch of other points in the story. I feel like the movie has a lot to say. And I kind of feel overwhelmed by it. So whenever I watch that movie, when it's over, I feel that, you know, a lot has gone over my head and I've missed a bunch of details and stuff. When, so, you, when you watch the movie again, are you sort of like, do you not remember watching it the last time? No, I do. No. I was going to say, because that would be very meta. Yeah. <laughs> you watched it then. <laughs> yeah, I have seen it. It's a good movie, actually. It's a great actually. movie. But I think that that ending is very clear. Yeah. So uh, it's it's not that I don't get the movie or the ending or the, the, the meaning of it. It's just that I feel that like I've missed a lot of things as I've watched it. You know, every time I, watch, I think I watched it a few times and I still feel like I'm only scratching the surface. So I I feel like I don't get it as much as I could, maybe. Maybe you just need to gain more life experiences, man, you know? Yeah. And then feel the pain yeah. of loss and... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got you to gotta hit rock bottom before you, you can um, yeah. un- appreciate. Does that movie not make you guys feel a bit overwhelmed, maybe? Yeah, a little bit. I think I watched it in a simpler time where I thought I understood life. So mm. I've actually got one more that I remembered that I didn't understand. Ryan Gosling's like, pretty famous movie drive it's like not got a lot of talking and he's like the driver for criminals and stuff like that but he's just very smooth and doesn't usually talk anyway he gets like like it sort of leaks into his personal life and he ends up having to like commit murders and stuff but he's like a very silent guy but he's very violent like at you know when it comes down to it and that's i think that's why (laughs) everyone loves it because he's like everyone loves a silent killer you know but 
I just don't understand the movie at all. I have no <laughs> idea what, like what what is meant to happen. Yeah, makes no sense. Hmm. It's just very smooth and cool, but too smooth for me because I just didn't understand anything. I'm pretty sure it's not like Nazi propaganda. I'm, I'm pretty sure I understand <laughs> that much, but I mean, I don't. I don't understand like anything basically more than that. So. <laughs> Gris is the video game we're doing this week. So we've sort of done a great video game saga um, interrupted by U2's war. (laughs) So Gris is sort of like this 2D, sort of like an adventure slash platforming game. And it's based on basically a girl that's... uh, I'm going to make some assumptions and we can tear them down later. But it's basically a girl that's dealing with grief and facing facing basically hardship or pain and she basically gets brought into a world of gray black and white so no color and you have to complete objectives so it's it's basically like a little you walk along and you have to complete the puzzle which is usually getting either little stars or unlocking um, places to go and you unlock colors. So I think the first color you unlock is red, and then you yeah. progress to unlock um, you know, green all the other colors. Yeah. Green, I think blue, and then yellow. Maybe. I don't remember. <laughs> Not super important, but they are very nice um, when you get to them. It's very visually appealing. And um, anyway, it has sort of more more moves you can unlock as you go along. So you start off basically just bound to do one thing, which is a hop. And then, yeah. then you can do like other things. So you can do, um, you can do this thing where you get into like this square-shaped boulder. So then wind doesn't affect you, and you're extra heavy. Or you can do double jumps. Or you can do when you see these hovering flowers, you can jump through the air. And there's a lot of things. There's one which yeah. is more like a sound. I don't know what you guys call it, but I call it like the sound beam. The what? The sound beam. It's towards the end. Um, oh, I just you... called it singing. Ah, oh, singing. Okay. Sound beam, singing, <laughs> yeah. whatever you want. She, she was so, singing. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> it was. I call it a sound beam. But yeah, she yeah, was beaming makes... sound. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, analytic. Yeah. She created sound waves with her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, you, can, you sort of unlock... Um, more colors and you unlock more abilities and also you unlock more of the story the story is quite cryptic you can sort of infer meaning yourself but i think inon might have a master plan he might just (laughs) strip down the walls and reveal the matrix to us so um but yeah so i think it's a basically story about we can call her Gris if you like. I'm not sure, but um, yeah. But we is could say Gris loses her voice. It feels like a girl's name. I, I thought she was a nameless protagonist, but yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I saw a few videos on YouTube which called her Gris, but I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, she sort of gets her voice back at the end. That's that's what I think the ending signals. Like with that last ability, that's her finally finding a voice and. Some people say it's quite a depressing game, but I think it's not a depressing game. I think it's a quite a positive game about sort of depressing totally things. Totally agree, yeah. So, um, oh, I should mention, let's oh, let's start with this, actually. Um, so, I looked up how long it should take you, and I think I got the, uh, I think I got three hours on Google. I'll mention I played it again with Barrio, just as much as we played um, Firewatch together. Oh, cool. And again, I was with a controller in my hands and Barrio was backseat gaming. And Mm. I think it took us three or three and a half hours or so. And then, you know, I started reading about the game and the achievements you can get and stuff. And I played it again at home, obviously uh, quicker than I did with Barrio uh, because he wasn't holding me back. And, uh, (laughs) and um, go explore this, go back. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and this time when I played at home, I kind of tried getting the achievements and finding all the secrets and stuff. And I didn't complete it. Like, I didn't get 100% in the game. I didn't find all the mementos and stuff, but which are the, the collectibles in the game. But I had a lot of fun with it, like just exploring and finding all the apples that you can give that 
little rock guy thingy. Yeah, the Apple guy, yeah. I spent more time with it just exploring and stuff, and then I found out that once you beat the game, you can skip between chapters and go get the, the specific mementos that you're missing and stuff. So I spent quite a lot of time with the game. Peter, what about you? I'm th- I'm thinking probably eight to nine. This took a long time for, for me. For one like, gameplay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yes, I'm very bad at games. We've established <laughs> that. But I don't know. I was a bit confused at the start because you were running left. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, I did that on I did that on one level. But I don't know because I was sometimes I was stressing that I needed to get all the mementos when you kind of can just I don't know not you can't like skip things, but you can definitely do quick versions. You know, yeah. like. Um, you can kind of get like maybe three quarters of the things you need and then like you can still do it. So I think the mementos um, are optional, right? I think they only unlock a secret scene in the end or something. Yeah, something like that. I think some of them you can't get with without all of the power-ups, right? I think some mm. of them you have to backtrack and get them later. Yeah, I think that's right. So sometimes when I'd like do one and I'd get more sort of things like and then I'd come back and unlock it i kind of thought oh did i have to unlock it or was that an extra thing and i kind of got confused Mm. so but yeah besides that you can't really well you can't die in the game can you imagine if you could like you'd be (laughs) playing this game about overcoming depression and you fail it like that suck (laughs) anyway um but yeah you can't really die and like if you are going way off course it'll sort of find a way to stop you like um there'll be a wall you can't go past and then you know and also, when you're getting closer to something interesting, it'll kind of like zoom in and frame it, which is like psychologically kind of guides you without really telling you it's guiding you. Yeah. It's good in that way. But for me, like, I need someone to hold my hand. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it was fun. If the less you stress about trying to get it done in a quick kind of like speed run way, then I think it's, I think it's more fun. But anyway, did you guys um, have fun? Like, what what was your impressions of it? I loved it. I, I have a very specific kind of games that I really love. Again, like Inside and Limbo, and this definitely goes in. Where I admire the games that kind of tell a story with no words because they're just beautifully made. The characters, the surrounding, the sound effects, the music. I enjoyed it, and I think it was so slick and and so unique you know one of the things i really loved i loved the trees and the rocks Mm. i thought i thought they were beautiful like and those small robots or something that move inside the rocks or something yeah i I found it charming And, and the whole concept of bringing the colors back like the first thing that you see in the game is that she's singing and she's losing her voice so like getting the voice back and successfully opening her mouth to make sound beams then um <laughs> to be sound- like i understood it was we were getting towards the end of the game because she got her voice back yeah and one of the things that also caught me is that in order to release each color it was the character going into this broken person which i'm still not sure if it's her or is it someone else or maybe i thought I'll- it might have been a, a, her mother her mama uh- <laughs> <laughs> her mother, but uh, <laughs> um, but I think it's her. <laughs> I think it's her. I think it is her. Yeah, I think I think that's actually her, and the character that we're playing is kind of like her avatar. Mm, and mm. and I loved it that in order to kind of release the colors of her true self, like every time she got to her broken self. She had to cry, and then that kind of like released this exploding color everywhere and colored the world. It was a charming way to tell a story, which was very deep and also beautiful visually. Everything had this feeling of a watercolor, I think, yeah, like very light gentle. and gentle. Yeah, yeah. So that was really well made, I think. Well made. I think the, the the most beautiful area, I think, was in the red area. Every once in a while, you get like a strong wind blowing. And it's, you know, kind of like red vapors. It's just beautiful stuff, I thought. Beautiful animation. It it looked like something that would be fun to touch, you know? Mm. So I enjoyed playing the game. But to me, Greece is a perfect example of something that I enjoyed much more once I finished the game for the first time. Like, mm. you know, I liked playing it. The, the, the game is pretty good, like, um, in terms of mechanics and, and gameplay. 
But, you know, on my first playthrough, I was mainly focused on the mechanics and the style, uh, which are both nice, but after that playthrough, I got deeper into the story, and then I replayed it, and, you know, I noticed a bunch of small things that make the story, or it's meaning the focus of the game. So it felt like a different kind of game after I kind of realized what was going on. On my second playthrough, I connected with different parts in the game more, and everything felt kind of stronger to me. And I I think that if you're going to play it once and move on, especially, you know, if, like me, you're not going to try and focus on the story too much, then maybe Barrio might disagree with me, but that game might feel a bit simple, you know, because the mechanics and the, the gameplay are fine, but they're nothing too special. Digging deeper into the game and getting to really know this game was a lovely, lovely experience, I thought. Barrio, you kind of mentioned, I, I think that in a way this game has similarities to both Inside and Firewatch, in a way, mostly Inside, does, maybe. Yeah. I mostly don't, like, Inside, but... Yeah, I think that much like Playdead's Inside, the whole thing is done, like Barrio said, without a word. Like, there's no text, it's all visual. You learn about the world and the meaning of the game from what you do in the game and the power-ups you get and from the stages themselves. And on the other hand, I think that, much like Firewatch, the story can be inferred almost in its entirety once you've been the game once or twice. Like, I think that you're not left with huge questions about what happened or what's going to happen now. I think that it's kind of a closed story. I think most of it can be deduced. And... To add to that, I think that this game feels much more artistic. All of these games have kind of a distinct feel and style to them. This one feels like it relies more on the drawing style and the music much more than the other games. I think this kind of tried being much more artistic than the other games. And to me, maybe because it felt artistic, oh, the game didn't have a strong atmosphere as much as the other games. Like, I wasn't sucked into it as much as I did with the other two. Like, I remember... Inside felt so weird, and Firewatch felt so charming. Do you guys feel the same, or uh, do you disagree? I felt I agree with you with Firewatch. I felt like I was in that more. Um, Inside, I don't know. I enjoyed a little bit less. I, I I don't think it pulled me in as much, although mm. it could just be because it was a while ago, but I feel like this, this one and Inside were about even in terms of engagement for me. I think it was very clear from the start and, and throughout the game that it's much more personal and that gave the game much different tone because on inside you keep interacting with other characters right like from the beginning there are a bunch of people that are running toward you and there are these zombies that that you control and the the entire game is about your interaction with with other beings and this one like it starts with with our Gris singing to this, well, to this, uh, we're not even sure it's alive. Statue? Yeah, the stat- yeah. statue of something. And then we're seeing birds. And then there's also the the scary, oily monster. And that's it. And so it feels much more personal. That's true. I kept thinking it was kind of like a journey inside one's mind. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. When I played uh, Gris for the first time, I kind of figured... You know, that the story was about loss, was a story about dealing with grief, was a story about what's going on in the mind of that girl. And once I finished the game, I started looking up information about it, and I found out about uh, a few hidden achievements, and the story kind of becomes clearer, I think. Like, the, the story of the game and the stages you play through are tied directly to the five stages of grief, which now I know are officially known as the Kubler-Ross model. Um, The five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I'll mention that it's not a widely accepted model today, but, you know. And the five hidden achievements are the titles of each of the stages. You can achieve one achievement per stage, and you achieve them in that order. Uh, denial first, then anger, then bargaining, depression, and acceptance in the end. And I think that once you either you know get these achievements or hear about them, then the story of the game is fairly clear. In Gris, we play a nameless girl. I'll, I, I think she's nameless, but a yeah. lot of people call her Gris. And I think she's dealing with the loss of, I think it's her mother, but maybe not specifically her mother, but some kind of a parental figure. Um, in the beginning, she lives, 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 I hate English. Um, she lives in the hands 
of a large statue of a woman that seems to be floating in this empty sky and everything around her is is white and everything is light and they're you know kind of splashes of bright colors but it's mostly white and I don't know I think that the colors and the world are fairly simple at this point because I think that shows that you know the girl we're playing is still young and inexperienced maybe and you know the girl and the statue in the beginning of the story they're singing together in harmony until suddenly the statue cracks and breaks and stops singing and then the girl suddenly loses her voice and she falls towards the ground I think this moment kind of symbolizes a death of a parent or something I don't know you know a major character in the girl's life and the, the girl she falls towards the ground and at first as she's falling there are still kind of colors but she kind of falls past them kind of uh, until there's only black and white and gray and I'll mention that the only thing that has color at this point is her hair which is Is blue and in the cutscene in the beginning her hair was a mixture of black red and blue I think but anyway then you start playing and you're in the first stage out of five stages you're in the first stage of the Kubler Ross model which is denial and you know this stage starts with a bit of running you're running towards the right and it kind of feels aimless like you're just running away from something because you're running and it takes a while for anything to happen you know you're just running to the right mm-hmm. and then you pass this fog and you keep running and some birds are flying in the opposite direction and you kind of see a few buildings that are broken and seem to be deserted but it kind of feels aimless at first and I'll mention that at the end of its stage you come upon a the statue of your mother figure and it's broken and throughout the game it kind of fixes up it, it becomes more complete as you progress after the first stage it's only a part of the hand and later it's most of the arm and then you see a bit of the face and then the whole face and I, I assume that it's somehow tied in terms of the story with the collectibles in the game which are mementos or memories and you know I think that by collecting mementos the girl's memory of her mother is more complete or, or stronger or something and that's why the statue is more complete mm. it's as if an important part of the healing process is to remember all the times you've had with the person that you've lost I think and when you reach the statue the world gains a certain color that was lost and once you kind of take back a color a new stage starts and after denial you bring back the color red and then you enter the second stage of the Kubler Ross model which is anger. And anger is associated with the color red in this area there are kind of gusts of red wind every once in a while and it kind of blocks out the screen and pushes you back and I think that these are supposed to kind of represent fits of blinding rage and the next stage is green and to move through this area you have to get help from this little square rock guy and you have to fit him apples to get him to help you so maybe this represents reaching out and asking for help and I'm not exactly sure but an interesting point to make is that to get his help you have to feed him apples and to to get the apples to him you have to knock them off of trees and you have to do that by stomping which is the power up you get in the anger stage this kind of connects the stages in an interesting way mm. also there are in this area in the green area there's strokes of red throughout the area you know like some of the trees are red and some of the beams of light are red which I think means that while the girl is in the second stage of grief and she's past the anger stage there's still anger in her it's not gone but now she's not controlled by it you know she can maybe even use it to her advantage even with with the apples and after bargaining we get to the blue stage and you know, of course the color blue is connected with the depression which is the next stage of grief and this area is an underwater area in which you're swimming downwards a bit as if the girl is drowning in depression and you know when you get the ability to swim you can dash underwater and in many games the underwater levels are kind of slower and harder to control in mm-hmm. it's kind of an added challenge but here it's faster and smoother and it's really fun to swim around and explore and And generally you're swimming downwards and I think that it all kind of symbolizes how inviting depression sometimes feels you know how is it is to sink and to get used to it maybe and I'll mention here that 
you know, just before we get into the blue area, we meet for the first time the bad guy of the game, Barrio, you've mentioned it earlier, which it's kind of a small black bird that can bunch up and take different forms. Um, at first, it's a giant bird. I think it's a sparrow, but I'm not sure. And then when you're underwater, it's a huge eel. And that mass of birds is, is first seen earlier in the anger stage. There's a point in that anger stage where you're kind of stuck in this black and white room. And to get out of that room, you have to smash a few statues. You have to stomp and break those statues or hit the ground a few times, kind of as if you're having this anger outburst. And every time you break a statue or stomp the ground, a bunch of these birds come out of you and eventually turn to be the bad guy uh, of, the, of the story. And I think that this mass of birds, this oily, weird monster kind of represents depression and self-doubt and friction in the process of grief. It, you know, it appears not long before the, the depression sets in and you have to run away from it and fight it throughout the game. And most of the time that you see it, it tries to stop you from climbing upwards or swimming upwards. It tries to kind of pull you down. When you see it for the first time, we see that bells that you happen to ring accidentally make the sparrow lose its form, which points at music as a tool to beat the mass of birds. I think that music stands for the connection of the girl with her mother. They sang together in the beginning. And once you're out of the blue area, you reach a complete statue of the mother figure. You know, you're standing as the girl in her hand, in the statue's hand, and you're trying to sing, but the girl can't find her voice yet. And the black mass of birds comes back and breaks the statue. You move on to the next stage, which is acceptance. The, I think it's the last stage in the game. And at this point, you know, you've been climbing upwards for a while out of the blue area. And the girl tries to sing. And, you know, I think that the fact that the bad guy destroys the statue, even after you've been climbing upwards, even though it seems that the girl is trying to sing and maybe is getting better, I think that shows that even when you get past the worst part of depression and you start to get better, it still has a hold on you. You still have to climb out of the hole. And the depression you feel will always make it as hard as it can be. And anyway, you, you move on to the acceptance stage. And in this stage, a girl gains the ability to sing again. And when she sings, when she does those sound beams, she helps things grow and rebuild. Um, and once you get through this stage, you get to the last sequence of the game and depression hits one last time. But here, it's no longer a sparrow or an eel. It, it takes the face of the girl and it's stronger than ever. It's trying to prevent the, the statue of the mother from being rebuilt. And the world turns black and white again. All the colors are missing again. And depression literally swallows a girl and she's in the worst place in the game even worse than when we started the, the journey she's drowning in black but you know she swims up and the girl sings and even alone even without the second voice the singing banishes the black rebuilds a statue and brings back all the color to the world and the statue then sings back the girl embraces and kisses it and then we move on we, the, the, the game is basically over. The, throughout the game, you collect these stars and they kind of form this road or, or a ladder towards the sky and the game is over. And we move into like the white, which is like basically all colors. So I think that that's, the story is kind of clear. It, it is, I think, a girl who lost her mom and we see her journey through grief. Yeah, I think after watching the, the hidden scene, I just watched it, so yeah, it, it, it's definitely her, her mother. Yeah, I think um, if you collect all the mementos, all of the collectibles throughout the game, there's an area that opens up, I think in the middle of that castle that's kind of the hub between the levels, and you can get in there and see the the hidden scene. You get to see the girl with her mother, and she, I don't you know, they're looking at the moon, the mother is kind of picking up a star, or maybe it's a firefly, I don't know, and she gives it to the it's girl. It's one of the mementos, no? It, it, it looks like one of the uh, the collectibles that isn't optional, one of those stars that Peter mentioned earlier, mm. one of mm -hmm. those that kind of opens a road to the end in the last part of the game. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it basically just gives some more context for the story. It kind of uh, proves that, you know, the, the statue is the mother yeah. mm. of the girl. Uh, yeah, no, I think it is a simple story. I mean, I didn't really explain how I came down overall, but I think I do enjoy games that are kind of simple because 
I'm not really a gamer, so I'm looking for something like kind of straightforward. And this was good, but I did feel like it would have been nicer to have some more instruction. I don't know. I enjoyed like not being forced to do things at all, but I did feel like sometimes I was just sort of there was there wasn't anything like driving me forward, you know, whereas in inside I definitely had that feeling like something was actually forcing me to go ahead. Like yeah. You know, it felt like you were actually invading something. And the one thing I th- I think I like about it is that, like, hypothetically, say you were, like, really in a bad spot and you wanted to play a game, you just – and, like, often when you're depressed, you're not looking for, like, the most complex game that's going to take your mind. You want something, like, kind of monotonous but yeah. not quite, like, something better than just laying in bed. And I think this is actually pretty good for that. So – I can understand like what they were kind of going for, something that's like simple, don't have to think too much, but um it still took me eight hours, so I'm not I'm not saying it's easy, but um <laughs> but yeah, I def I definitely feel like if you're looking for like the next adventure, I would maybe skip this because it's definitely something to play when you're down in the dumps or something like that, rather than a firewatch where you can get hyped to play the next session. So um yeah, in that sense, it's it's brought it down. But visually, it's the best game I've played because every scene, well, every every clip is basically hand drawn. Yeah, and I, I read something that the the people that were making it were thinking like they'd hand draw it and scan it in, and then, but they were like, no, it's too hard. So it's, yeah, too much. <laughs> um, but still, digitally digitally drawn, and. Yeah, so the the music is fantastic and the art is fantastic. And to an extent, sometimes the abilities are good. My gripe with the abilities is, you know, the ability where you can kind of like stack icebox on top of them? Yeah. On, on top of each other? It's kind of a I temporary ability. Kind of, it's kind of a... It's a temporary ability. Yeah. That one I thought was a bit lame. And also the singing ability at the end, as much as I think it's probably one of the best symbolic things they did... I think the actual mechanic was kind of, I don't know, I didn't really love that mechanic. You're constantly sort of like booming and just hoping to hit something. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that one didn't really float It didn't as feel well. as interactive. You're just pressing B yeah. and then waiting for something to happen. Yeah. So, sometimes I felt like my like, it's so bad when you like expect to sort of like get to the next bit and then you're standing there waiting for the cutscene and it doesn't come. You're like, <laughs> like... Oh, God. So, you have to, like, rethink, like, what you could have missed and stuff like that. So <laughs> That haunted me from the beginning. Like, at the beginning of the game, the first time when you get to that uh, city or castle the, the, when it's broken. Yeah. Mm. And um, I think I took the control at that part. And I was thinking about going up to see what's what's on top. And I continue right and everything changed and I couldn't go back. And I was like, damn, I missed so many secrets. Oh, yeah. Like yeah, you, you go down, down like the slides yeah. and stuff yeah. and it's like, uh-oh. Like, what if uh, I can't go back? You eventually go back there kind of often, but yeah. Oh, actually, there was one bit which I got so stuck on. Like it was actually early. I think it was in the red bit where like you have to you have to do something in a certain amount of time like cuz the there's a big kind of crawling thing like it's like a daddy long legs but this game's version of it and it like crawls along and you need to sort of go up the stairs and then drop down into this bit before the big walking thing kind of hits so mm. you can get and but once it hits you can't get down that thing and i was like i was honestly for like 15 minutes and i was like what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> and then the answer was, just move on. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, that annoyed me so much, actually. I was a bit <laughs> mad for like half an hour after that. But yeah, besides that, like it is it is fun. I do like the fact that it helps you out, like that it's not like a cutthroat game. And I actually, like, I agree with you and Noam when you say it's simple, and I, yet I still kind of like it. I still uh, like it being simple. I just think it's a great game that's not for most people, you know? it's. Um, I kind of agree. It, and it's not really for me. Like, I, I liked it sort of, like, on the cusp of my comfort zone. It was okay. It, like, it, was, pre- it was a lot of fun to do, and I, I'm, I'm happy it wasn't a bad game. It's oh, just, definitely. like... It sort of like capped out. There was a level of fun that it got to, which it didn't really 
go past and it, that was the level of fun was basically uh, mildly entertaining it was mildly yeah. entertaining for like a few hours and it never really got better than that like even some of the coolest cutscenes, i was like oh cool you know like that's that's nice but yeah sort of left me sort of wanting something a bit more a bit more rich in mechanics and a little bit more um more stuff to do yeah you know? i, I so. totally agree that's why i called it simple because like and i'm, I'm not saying that simple is is bad but in terms mm. of the mechanics and gameplay it's a lot like a bunch of other puzzle platformers that i've played and there wasn't something special to this game or unique or like a, a smart new idea or clever new thing to do or mm. in terms of the puzzles nothing too complicated right i think the puzzles were fairly simple other than mm. the, that bit you got stuck on for no reason, really. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're looking for an interesting puzzle platformer, it's not great. Like I said, after I finished my first playthrough, I wasn't too excited about this game. But in my first playthrough, I was focused on the mechanics and gameplay. But once my, my interest shifted to the, the story, then the, the game became to me, a lot more interesting. So, like you said, it's not for everyone. It, it really depends on what you're looking for in a game. If you're into the art stuff, the visual stuff, the music, the the story, I think it's great. But if you're looking for, you know, a game for a few hours, it, maybe not, because it's simple and, and it is a bit slow at points, I think. Not bad. And I'll mention that I, I thought the game was beautiful, just like you mentioned, just like I said earlier. Like, I love the watercolor type of art. I love the design of everything you see throughout the game. I loved how the sparrow and the eel uh, were drawn. I thought that was great. And I thought that the underwater area was beautiful. But the, I have to mention that there was one area that I didn't really like. That was the, the, the last stage, kind of the castle in the sky bit. Something about it was maybe too much for me because like mm. you know the, there's in the background the dark night skies and then the castle or whatever it was was kind of semi-transparent gray and there were bright yellow lights and some flowers and stuff that were green and pink and i don't know something about it was just too much for me every other area was soft and, and soothing i think my rating of the colors went just down uh, it was it was started off with red which is like my favorite and then even all the way up to sort of blue so it was it was red um green, green blue yellow blue yellow and then the, the the castle stuff yeah yeah i think red and green were pretty pretty nice blue is okay like blue had a bit of like the ice stuff i remember yeah and i think the ice looked a little bit more tacky like the textures on the ice wasn't as nice as the textures on the green and blue and especially the red it looked a little bit more arcadey but then the yellow was a bit weird like the yellow was legitimately weird yeah it's, um i could see the appeal maybe when they drew it but it would have been cool to have like a yellow imagine a yellow um level that was more like the green level you know like yeah. really rich in yellows yeah. and you know that would have been really nice i'll mention that you know in terms of the story though the 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 progression of the colors is interesting because like at the beginning the world was mostly white and kind of simple but in the end it's it's not it's dark blue with all kinds of colors it's big it's alive and you know i think that in some games you work to restore the harmony that was lost in the beginning of the game. I think an example of that is um, the Neverhood. You know, you're trying to kind of rebuild the world that was lost. But here, you don't restore the world that the girl knew. I think that the world changes throughout the adventure. And I think that represents the girl. You know, I think in the beginning, everything was white and simple. And the girl was young and inexperienced. And in the end, she... After she went through all the the process of grief, she's matured. She's, she grew throughout the adventure, and the world is now dark blue. It's big. It's alive. The, the symbol is, is, is good. The, the, the metaphor is good. Just that the last stage wasn't as beautiful as the rest mm, to me. I agree. I dug the, the, the last stage. I think it was... Castle in the sky thing. Yeah, I, I felt that there's this uh, like concept of, of rebuilding, right? Because you're getting the colors back, and you're you're always coming back to this ruined city, which 
gets rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt. And the last stage, it's kind of like with in its entirety, right? You got the flowers and the colors, and and it's and of course it's less subtle because it's no longer like this faded away dream. It's kind of like we got everything back. It's real. In terms of the music, I, I liked it. Do you guys like the music at all? Yeah, I actually, there was some, like, kind of hooks they had, like the do-do-do, like, I don't know, they kind of guided you when you were close to things. Hmm, I didn't notice. As you were kind of going towards things, like, when you'd get to the area that you're meant to be in, it would just sort of play similar tones, like, the same tones again and again. And, like, sometimes when you'd start a level, it'd do, like, this three, I don't know, three note kind of sound by the end it felt very repetitive but it was also kind of like um i can understand like comforting maybe is the word like mm. it, it it felt familiar as you went along even though the colors were obviously different but overall overall i really liked it like it it built up um the mood like appropriately i think like the biggest use of it or like the most appropriate use was in when the they had the sandstorms in the red level yeah and there was like the thunderous music um, kind of a church organ playing loudly every time there was a gust yeah. of wind but yeah. there was that there was that sort of sound effect for a lot of the levels so i think it was good it, it wasn't over the top I think it was nice, actually. I think the art was maybe my favorite bit of this, followed by the music. Yeah. Uh, the, the music was kind of atmospheric, electronic music, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mostly quiet and soothing, I'd say. I listened to the soundtrack. It's on Spotify and uh, on Apple uh, Music. Um, and I listened to the soundtrack a few times after I played the game, like when I was reading or when I was walking the dog and... It's, it's, it's pretty good. It's good to have it in the background when you want to think. It's uh, very soothing, very comfortable, comfortable music, I think. Something I, I kind of interesting that I didn't notice that was mentioned in a video by Daryl Talks Game on YouTube is, you know, in the underwater area, in the depression stage, there's a turtle that lights up an area for you and yeah. then helps you avoid the eel and stuff. Okay. Do you guys notice the, the turtle was red? Yeah, yeah, I did. I kind of... Didn't think Angry about turtle. it at all. Yeah, <laughs> Angry Turtle. <Yeah. laughs> Everything that's you know the the colors kind of connect to the feelings, uh, the 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 Kubler Ross model, the the stages of grief that you're going through, and and red is obviously anger. And um, you know while anger is part of grief, there's more to it than that. You know, like uh, an emotion is a complex thing, and while anger is considered a negative feeling, especially in the context of grief. In another context, it maybe can be positive or maybe useful. Mm. You know, maybe in, in fighting depression, her anger helps helps motivate her or something or lights the way just like the turtle did. Mm. I'm not exactly sure what the turtle symbolizes other than the color, though. I think there's a room to, to interpret red as more than just anger. Maybe, yeah. Red is also passion and kind of like vividness and... It's something that's alive, and it stands out in the blue, literally. Yeah, you're totally right. Saying that one color is one emotion is maybe oversimplifying things. This actually, I think it's a big debate in like the psychological area. Like, um, do are feelings like unitary? Can you break them down? Like, can you quantize them into like discrete? emotions like are they discrete emotions like do you discover them or do you sort of conflate them like because sometimes people think just naming an emotion something gives people the emotion mm. or, or taking it away so like a lot of people used to describe themselves as being gay in terms of like it's sort of like a frivolous happiness like almost like very loose happiness um, so if you're feeling gay, you're kind of, you're very, you have very low inhibitions essentially, but they, I guess I've done studies, but I th it might be more just observational research where like in countries where they don't use the word gay anymore because it's association with like the sexuality, it's just too confusing. Yeah. People actually feel gay less often. Like people, um, don't huh. actually experience that. So like you could argue like if you don't have like a word like resilience or if you don't have a word like um inadequacy or something then it actually comes up less so like obviously not never yeah. but like if if people use the word less it's it doesn't enter the mind as much but also like just because we name an emotion one word it doesn't mean it has to be one thing like because if you named it two things is it suddenly two things so <laughs> yeah I, I don't know i think it's all fascinating yeah 
uh, was trying to make sense of all of the, you know, the details in the game. Once I kind of got the story and I played the, the game again and then tried finding red bits in blue areas and stuff. So I, I, I tried making sense of everything as much as I could and I kind of got stuck on the logo of the game. You know, it's a, it's a bunch of circles and dots around the word Gris. Oh, the dots also have circles and maybe even other dots around them. When you look in the game at the title screen and you see the logo, the, the circles are kind of moving around and stuff. And at first I thought it kind of looked like a planetary system or something. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. Uh, that's uh, the first thought I had. And in the game, as you progress, we've mentioned it, you kind of light up stars in the sky that eventually form a road for you to walk on and finish the game. So I thought that the logo kind of resembles that then I thought that the, the logo kind of looks like the mementos that you collect throughout the game. You know, they're also, you know, a circle or maybe a few circles with a few dots near them as well. So maybe that's the point. Like, each memento is a memory that the girl has of her mother or something. And then the logo is kind of a full set of memories. I don't know. Um, but because I couldn't really come up with a... A definite answer. I posted a question on the Gris subreddit to see if, you know, the fine folk of uh, Reddit can maybe come up with a better answer. And you slash Crystal Saver, he posted a theory about it. I'm not going to go too deeply into it because, you know, I'm not sure that I fully got it. It has to do with um, a few of the songs from the soundtrack. And it has to do with the, the levels and the stages in the game. And it, it kind of talks about the circular nature of life and, you know, the process of grief. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Check it out. Maybe if you have an idea to kind of build on their theory, or if you have a different idea altogether, maybe post something there and, I don't know, we'll have a discussion going. I, I just saw the, the last uh, cutscene, you know, where she kind of hugs the statue and then, like, your character is going on the star bridge and just going away. And after realizing this narrative, even though it doesn't have too many ups and downs, it's it's really touching. Hmm. I think so as well. You know, in terms of the gameplay, it was kind of average. and It felt a bit slow. The puzzles didn't feel too clever. But in terms of the story, it was really good. I had a lot of fun reading about the, the Kubler-Ross model and then replaying the game and looking for hints and stuff. And there was something I really liked about this game that maybe maybe something that was kind of missing in Firewatch was the extra achievements, you mm -hmm. know? There's a few things that are totally optional in this game that you can do to me, and it makes the game just a bit more interesting. Like, there's an achievement for feeding the, that rock guy all of the apples, or an achievement in the, the red stage, there's a few balanced stone statues, and if you break all of them, then you get an achievement, and... These are a bit harder than the puzzles in the game. Like some of those apples and statues are are well hidden. You know, if you want to beat if you beat the game and you want to get some more out of it, then you can then after you finish the game, you can skip to any chapter and and try to get these achievements. The, I, I like it. It's a bit of extra gameplay. Okay, so as we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not Gris has a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide. We will each have a chance to persuade each other and state our case for or against Gris's induction to the Quag, and then we will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hand for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay. And the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. So Gris, um, Gris has actually got us like a place in my heart a little bit. Like I never thought about making a game for people to deal with grief and. Um, I think if you were one of the people to work on this game, I'd feel very proud because it's they've done a great job. Um, for, I think, 90% of the population, I think this might be one to skip. Um, but for that 10% that are feeling like everything's a struggle or even just like, you know, they just want to relax. They really don't want any stress. They just want to play a game and perhaps you played games in the past but now you can't play those games anymore because everything's too much this might be the game for you so hopefully podcasts weren't too much and you've made it to the end uh, but if not maybe it's good to um, recommend this kind of game to a friend that you know might want something like this maybe a good gift or something um, for someone like that but yeah there were definitely some great aspects starting with the art and then the music 
and also you know the the symbolism and the extra features you can unlock um some simple controls great for non-gamers it could still take a while but you know more bang for buck i guess <laughs> and uh, that's my that's my pretty concise feelings about the game when i finished reading about the game and kind of researching it i kind of felt that this represents a feeling that i couldn't really put in words it kind of also reminded me of the song carry on by uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Kind of like a feel that you're dealing with something that kind of feels, I don't know, unfixable. Because, you know, we've all had these periods of times in our lives. Like when I went through breakup when I was younger and I felt like, you know, it's overwhelming and how can I ever be happy again? But, you know, with time, you you wake up one day and find out that it's behind you. And this game kind of feels like a representation of that. I was just thinking that I can't wait uh, till we get to, to the place that part of our study curriculum will be to play certain video games. Like imagine you go and you learn about that uh, five stages scale and your homework is to go home and play this game. That would be, <laughs> what a day. Yeah, damn, eight hours of homework. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad about it because I, I did enjoy it, but uh, an ominous stroke of the mustache. I will also give it an ominous stroke of the mustache with with compliments. Though. That's yes. exactly what I feel. I give it uh, my ominous stroke of the mustache. I love this game. I really had a good time with it. I, I'm trying to kind of disregard the average gameplay because I don't think that's the point of the game. But still, I don't think this I think is that's it. That's what I said about Firewatch. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, I realized I've never watched a Kung Fu movie. We've made fun of some, but yeah, we've never watched one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but to really give it a chance. Like, I, I don't think it will hold in today's standards. But uh, there are so many movies and series and jokes and, and everything about old Kung Fu movies. So we gotta, we gotta try it. So what we'll do in the next episode, we'll do uh, Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon which is a movie from 1973. I don't know anything about it, like <laughs> other than it's with Bruce Lee, and it's a kung fu movie, which a lot of people like. It's supposed to be, I think, the movie that kind of uh, made Bruce Lee in the United States, I think, but I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. But uh, yeah, it, it will be an interesting experience. It looks really as cool. As far as I'm seeing, this is the last movie he shot before he died. Oh, oh no. Yeah, he, he was active for, uh, maybe he was active in other fields, but as a, an actor, or maybe an actor in America, because this is an American film, which kind of took me by surprise. But as an actor in America, he was active only between 71 and 73. He died after filming this movie, and the movie came out only after he died. How did he die? Cerebral edema. I'm not sure what that means. Accumulation of fluid in the intercellular or extracellular oh, no. spaces of the brain. Yeah. He was, let's see, 43 years old. Sorry, 32 years old. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're oh, so wow. bad. <laughs> 32 years old. Holy crap. That's our age. Yeah. That's young. I've never seen a Bruce Lee movie. And, you know, he's such a big name. I don't really know anything about him. So I, I love to kind of read about him and, and his life as well and see what, what he's done. I think it's going to be fun. Cool. So thank you, Peter. And thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. The Culture Quest Podcast is part of All the People Network. Visit our website at culturequestpodcast.com to contact us or see a list of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at CQ underline podcast and tell your friends about us. Find out more information about All the People Network and the other podcasts it includes at allthepeoplenetwork.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention all those people that are currently stuck without their phone and are forced to continue listening to this unless they pause it and then have to contemplate, you know, the state of their life and other things. So you'll probably just continue listening. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to a, um, a website, actually. It's called givewell.org. So that's give, G-I-V-E, well, 
www.weeelle.org. So it's it's a .org, so it's it's legit. And um, basically, they're the authority on who is worth giving money to in terms of charity. So obviously, we'll give money to friends and family if they fall on hard times. But if you are thinking about giving large sums of money to um, charities, it's definitely best to do your research because a lot of people just give away money and want to feel good, but it's also good to think of it as an investment and how you can do the most good. So, it's not asking you to give away more money, but it's asking you to give the money away in a responsible way. And um, basically, they've just authorized eight charities. So, out of all the, I want to say hundreds of thousands of charities, might be a bit lower, but they've authorized only eight. And I think it's really good to just scan through the list and um, see if you can consider donating to these charities. So um, I think that would be good if we can all sort of band together during these tough times. At the moment, it's COVID, but, you know, that will change and we're all going to need to support everyone. So this is probably one of the best evidence-based ways to do that. So yeah, so definitely hop on to givewell.org if you're considering and hopefully those charities are like tax deductible or something in your country, which would be in your best interest. So anyway, this is not formal advice, but it's just good place to go. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dietrich. I'm Alex. And I'm Ben. We're from the podcast That Song From That Movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. We want you to join us on our voyage across the cinematic sound waves as we take a deep dive on a new song and movie each week to figure out just what makes them tick. Already we've set sail with Celine Dion on the Titanic, found a friend in Toy Story, and gotten drenched out in the rain with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Hopefully each breakdown allows us to answer the ultimate question of what's better, the movie or the song. Or at least learn something new along the way. Just like learning that Toy Story 4 is a meaningless cash grab without a soul. You can subscribe right now on all good podcast platforms. If you use one of the bad ones, then that's on you, and we can't be held responsible. Subscribe to that song from that movie.